Hi, I'm Jerry Laternal, one of the elders here at Community Covenant Church. Years ago, I attended a Christian conference where one of the speakers said something that has been with me ever since. He asked the question, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Now this question challenges me in virtually every area of my Christian walk. And even when I pray, I try to remind myself that I'm entering into God's presence, into the very throne room of my Heavenly Father, and that He actually delights in my being there. In fact, He longs for me to be there. And this is a reality for all of us who call Jesus our Lord and Savior. So let us, as a church body then, go into the presence of God in prayer this morning. Our Father, we thank you for your Son. Through him, you've called us to be your children. We're humbled in your presence, acknowledging that, that you alone are worthy of worship. And as we gather as a church today, we ask that you would meet each one of us where we are. Speak to us this morning through your word. Instill in us a hunger to know you, to desire you above all things, and a passion to become more and more Christ-like in all of our ways. We ask for your blessing and that your hand of providence will protect us and lead us, and that we would glorify you as individuals and as a church. We ask this in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're continuing this morning in a series entitled Deeper Still, where we're looking at what has come to be known as the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. This morning, we find ourselves in the 10th verse of Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says in his prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, hey there, church. My name is Frank Lucas. I am one of the pastors here at Community Covenant Church. And as always, I am excited to be able to share with you today. And if I'm honest with you, I really very much miss being together with all of you the way things once were. Uh, But what I do know is this, that day is coming. I don't know when, but I know it is coming. With every passing day, we are one day closer to the other side. But until then, we'll have to make the best of what God is providing to us. Just last weekend, 4th of July weekend, we had a nice little barbecue at our home and we had some family and friends come over and we were just enjoying a meal. We were kind of sitting in a large circle and one of Katie's family members just started talking to me about my sermon from a couple weeks ago. And I just sat there like blown away, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he tuned in. And not only did he tune in, he listened to the entire thing. Like he repeated it back to me. It was awesome. I I was so encouraged by this. He's never been to Community Covenant Church. 
He's not someone that I believe attends church regularly, not someone I would suspect that would be tuning in, but yet he did tune in and he did listen and there were seeds that were planted. You see, the reason I share this with you is I want to encourage you that while the doors to Community Covenant Church may be closed right now, the doors to the kingdom are wide open, wide open. And while I believe it's important that we mourn what we've lost or we mourn what we miss, I also think it's really important that we take a moment as a church to celebrate what God is doing in our midst, right now, right here. And so for that, I just, amen, right? Can we get an amen for that? I am so excited for what God is doing. There are seeds that are being planted like never before, and that is something that's worth celebrating. So with that, today, here's what we're going to do. We are going to continue on in our mini-series called Deeper Still, which is a little break from our What About series, an in-depth look at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And over these few weeks, what we're doing is we're taking a look at the Lord's Prayer. We've mentioned in the e-news over the last few weeks as we've been talking about this series, and then Pastor Greg mentioned it last week as well, I believe, Uh, but something I wanted to share with you that I just love, I find this to be so profound. This prayer... The Lord's Prayer is curiously relevant to all people in every culture and life circumstance throughout history. It is a work of both literary and sacred genius. I love that. And if I'm honest and transparent with you for a moment here, I can't think of a passage of Scripture that we, as a church, that we as the church need to realign ourselves with more now than ever before. The Lord's Prayer is relevant to us in this moment. God wants to share something with his church. So it's my hope and prayer that we're listening. We started the series a few weeks ago by looking at the, the posture of prayer. Learning to pray well requires a different way of thinking. Then we drew our attention towards the person of prayer as we focused on four words, our, Father, heaven, and hallowed, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. But today we're going to continue on and we're going to look at the priorities of prayer. Now as I say that, I don't want to confuse you. We're not going to be talking about prayer as a priority that is an entirely different message, an entirely different topic for an entirely different weekend. Prayer absolutely needs to be a priority in the life of a disciple. In fact, here's what Paul says about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, not just when things are going well, not just when we move from phase one to phase two and from two to three and three to four, not just when the face covering restriction is lifted, not just when we get that promotion or when things are going well with our wife or with our kids or at work or whatever it could be, not just when life is good, but when life is hard. In fact, even when life stinks, God is saying, hey, in all things, give thanks. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Now, does that mean praying constantly? 
Personally, that's not how I read this passage of Scripture. I don't think we're being asked to just walk around with our heads down and just mumbling these long religious prayers with words that we don't understand day in and day out. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think what he's saying is, uh, I, I read this as more of an exhortation to pray consistently, to pray in a reoccurring sort of way. When I wake up asking for God's direction, when I lay down at night thanking God for the day and thanking God for the day ahead, thanking God for rest, when I'm preparing breakfast or a meal, thanking God for his wonderful provision, when I'm with my kids praying for protection and for his direction in their lives, when I'm in my car on my way to work giving thanks for the transportation that I have and for my job and maybe the coffee in my hand, when I'm alone in my chair asking God to help me surrender all of who I am, not just some of it, but all of it, to who he is and to his will. You see, you get the idea. Prayer needs to be a priority in our lives. We should be doing it a lot. We should be praying, but that's not what what we're going to talk about today. That's not what we're going to expound upon. Today, what I want to share with you is what I believe Jesus is telling us the priority of our prayer should be. Not that prayer is a priority. It is. That's a given. But what the priority of those prayers should be. A few months ago, I was up in New Hampshire visiting a retreat center. It was back uh, in February, the week after the Super Bowl. And uh, I was there, and I got there early on a Friday night. It was a long night, lots of snow, and uh, it was before all the kids got there. And I found this guy over in the corner of the big gymnasium, and I'm there, and I'm talking with him. The band is warming up and all this stuff, and we just start chatting. And, and what do you think we start talking about? Two things. Snow, so the weather, and the Super Bowl. And that's the conversation that we go on to have for about an hour as we wait for kids to come in. And so the kids come in, our conversation ends, and what happens? The, the event starts going, and the music's playing, and everything's awesome. Then the MC gets up, and he goes, and he introduces the speaker for the weekend. Sure enough, who is it? It's the guy that I was just having a conversation with. And he introduces him, puts his picture on the screen, uh, puts up his name and all this, and I'm like, man, that name sounds familiar. So I get out my phone, like anybody else would do, and I Google the guy. I tur it turns out the guy that I've been talking to for the last hour is an author of a book that I just finished reading that was an assignment for a class that I was taking that I was studying and writing a paper on, and I talked to him about football and snow. Right, like He's an expert on a field of something that's important to me in this moment, and I'm talking to him about the weather. Right? If only I knew who he was, I probably would have asked some different questions. I probably would have shifted the conversation just a little bit. I probably would have stopped talking so much and started listening some more. This is a true story. This really happened back in February. But here's the thing. Here's why I share this. Isn't this often how our prayer life works, if we're honest? We talk with God as if he's some random guy or gal in the corner sharing info about our day. Now, don't get me wrong, that's awesome. I think we should absolutely have a relationship with God where we can share just what's going on in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds. We should be able to do that. Awesome, keep doing it. In fact, I encourage that. However, I wonder, I wonder if, 
if we became more keenly aware of who we are in relation to who he is, if our prayers, if our prayers would be a little different. Perhaps our prayers would be a bit more bold. Perhaps they would become a bit more audacious. Perhaps prayer would even become a bit more of a priority in our lives, or perhaps the priority of our prayer would begin to shift. It would shift from being about us to about Him. So as we dive in this morning, I want to invite you, we haven't done this in a while, I want to invite you wherever you are, unless you're driving in a car right now, uh, to stand with me. I want to invite you right where you are, in your living room, in your kitchen, on your porch, wherever you might be, just, just take a moment, let's stand together, and let's pray this morning with that in mind. Also, in a moment, uh, as we close our prayer before we uh, begin the sermon, really, yeah, as I begin the sermon, uh, we're going to read through the Lord's Prayer together, pray through the Lord's Prayer together, um, and just in case, we'll have the words on the screen for you to follow along with. So with that, stand with me, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today just in awe of who you are. And Father, today we boldly ask that you would give us ears to hear you, hearts that are open to you, eyes that are able to see, minds that are ready to learn who you are and your love for us. Father, I would ask that your words ring through today, that you be the primary teacher, that you help us set aside whatever distractions may exist so that we can focus in on you. And with that, together, let's pray the way Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All right, you may grab a seat. All right, well, after establishing that God is a compassionate and more than capable Father, Heavenly Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Jesus goes on to show us that the priority of our prayer should be advancing his agenda, not our own. His kingdom, not ours. Matthew 6.10, the line we're going to look at today. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to take our time today to unpack the significance of these few simple yet profound words. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, considering the placement of this line in the prayer, what I think Jesus is saying here is this. We are to long for God's presence before longing 
for his provision. Let me say that again. We are to long for God's presence before longing for his provision. Now back to the verse for a moment. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These words, they are familiar for sure. Many of us have been saying these words for many, many years. I memorized the Lord's Prayer as a young boy, and I've been uh, repeating it, reciting it ever since. All right, but here's what's happened. As, as a result of that, the words have almost become, I would argue, too familiar. And sadly, it's in that familiarity that at least for me, if I'm being fully honest with you, if I'm being fully transparent, that I've allowed this phrase, that verse, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to lose, I've allowed it to lose some of its significance, some of its meaning. It's just words I repeat. This phrase, this request of God that his kingdom come should shake us to our core because the reality is in our brokenness, we've created a world in which we desire to reign as the king of our own kingdom. Our sin, our brokenness has shifted the focus from God where it belongs to ourselves. And culture says that's how it should be. Everything is about you, 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 but that's not what it's supposed to be. Truthfully, that's how many of us live. Quite contently, I might add to that. But what is Jesus doing? He is turning over the tables in our heart. I love that imagery. Turning over the tables in our heart. It is not about our kingdom. It is about his kingdom. Our kingdom, or kingdoms, plural, and it's true of me, are the places where we've arranged everything to suit our needs and our desires where we control or at least try to control the outcome. It's our, our sphere of influence, if you will. A few examples, perhaps. My, my office at home. It's my little kingdom. It's actually a decent-sized kingdom. I love it. I have my desk and my book. Everything is laid out just right. Everything. And in fact, as I began to write the sermon this week, I had to make sure everything is in order. I'm not really OCD, but maybe for some things, maybe it's just procrastination, I don't know. But everything had to be in its right spot. The whiteboard had to be cleaned up so I could put my notes up and everything, including the tape dispenser and the stapler, which find a way of walking away all the time. I don't get it, but that's another point. But my office, it's my little kingdom. I have to control every little thing that happens in there. My shed, another kingdom. Oh, I love that kingdom. Everything has a spot. Everything. Everything has a spot. The kids, they mess it up. It drives me nuts, but that's my little kingdom. The storage compartment in my camper. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about right now, but a few of you do. The storage bays in your camper, that is like sacred space. You don't mess with that, all right? I have bins. They're labeled. I have spots for certain hoses. If you go in there and put a hose on the wrong hook, that's it. That's the end, all right? Sacred space, that's my little kingdom. My car, I have it set just right. I like the radio the certain way, the heat the certain way, or the air. I like the seat in a certain position. I don't know if you know this or not, because Katie's not up here, but she's like yay tall. Her legs are like yay long. And so when she gets in the car and drives, guess what happens to my little kingdom? Gets all jacked up. All right, it's all messed up. It's not the way I want it. And now these examples, they may seem trivial. They may seem silly to you. I'm sure there's a couple of husbands and wives that are chuckling right now at this moment. But here's the deal. They point to a bigger issue. They point to our inherent desire for control. 
But Scripture, what does it do? It tells us that there is a, another way. Scripture tells us that there is a better way. Now let's talk about the kingdom of God for a moment. We've talked about kingdoms, but let's talk about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, also referred to as the kingdom of heaven, kind of interchangeably throughout the Gospels, it was a central teaching, central to Jesus' teaching, to his mission throughout Scripture. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, in fact, in Matthew chapter 4, this is what he says in Matthew 4 in verse 17. He says, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. And throughout the Gospels, throughout Jesus' life, what did he do? He used stories and metaphors to try to help us understand what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven was like. And in fact, the entire Sermon on the Mount is devoted to this. It's essentially about the kingdom of God. The Sermon, in the, the sermon on the Mount is essentially uh, the closest thing that you will find to a bulleted list describing the kingdom of God. It's describing what the kingdom of God looks like, what a kingdom of God citizen looks like, all that. However, please hear me. I can't stress, stress this enough. I say it every time I'm up here. This is not a list of do's and don'ts. Do this and you're in. That's not it. Rather, what this is, Jesus' inaugural sermon, this prayer even, is a description of what our lives, our community, our world can and should begin to look like through the transformational power of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's not a list of do this and get in. It's to help us realize and understand what life should look like what our lives could look like should we accept the transformational power of Jesus Christ through his life, death, and resurrection into our hearts. The kingdom of God is a place that reflects God's character. It's a place of joy, a place of truth, a place of grace, a place of hope, a place filled with love, a place filled with peace. It's a place of shalom as it should be. There is no deceit in the kingdom. There is no pandemic in the kingdom. There are no politics in the kingdom. There's no slander in the kingdom. There's no addiction in the kingdom, no abuse in the kingdom. There's no hate in the kingdom. There is no racial prejudice in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is good because it is where God is, and God is good. That is the kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Mount, which describes for us the kingdom of God, should start to create within you a desire, a yearning for the kingdom, and also, get this, the king. It should create for you a desire, a yearning for the kingdom and the king. Do you desire... The king or just his kingdom? Are you just looking for the keys? When we pray boldly that your kingdom come, we are acknowledging God as king. We are embracing the already the kingdom of God being near, but we're also anticipating the not yet. 
when God and his kingdom reigns in all of its fullness here on earth, in us and through us. That is the kingdom in its fullness, kingdom realized. That's what we mean when we say the already but the not yet. The kingdom of God has been established here on earth. It's been staked in the ground through the cross of Jesus Christ, but it will not be fully realized until Christ's second coming, until his return. And that's the tension that we feel uh, that we live in. That's the tension as we turn on the news and see what's going on in the world all around us, the brokenness in the world out there and the world in here as well. Back to the verse, Matthew 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, but his will. Not my ways, but his ways. Not my thoughts, but his thoughts. So we're praying for the kingdom. We're praying for the will of God. Now that begs the question of us, what is the will of of God. What is the true desire of God? Fortunately, that's not really much of a mystery. God's desires are laid out for us pretty clearly throughout the scripture. What are they? That we love God and that we love others. Matthew 22, that enemies would be reconciled through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, that every knee would bow and worship him. Philippians 2, that every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. And Romans 14, that followers would rejoice, pray, and give thanks in all things. 1 Thessalonians 5, that we'd be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12, that we would worship from a humble heart, that we would live to serve and bless others, that we would be good stewards, that we would have loving relationships, that we would have hearts that are full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is God's desire for us. But above all of that, the desire for God, I think, of God for us is that we would begin to fully understand and realize that we can't have any of that apart from him. That we would begin to understand that we can't have or do any of that apart from him. That's God's will for you. That's God's will for me. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done. The kingdom here, what does it do? It emphasizes social order, as things should be. Whereas the will of God, what does it do? It's, it's emphasizing the redemptive intent of God for the world and for his children. God's redemptive intent, his will for the gospel to come alive in us and through us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not just there, but here. Not just then, but now. The kingdom of God has already been established here on earth with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, we said that. Staked in the ground with his cross. However, the kingdom of God here on earth is also not yet what it will be. Not yet what it shall be. That's why Jesus commands us to pray on earth as it is, already is, in heaven. Our desire should be that of God's desire. Our desire should be that what's up there, what's out there, is down here, right here, right now in our midst. And I can't think of any time, at least in my lifetime, where our need 
for his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven has ever been more great. In my lifetime, I can't think of another time greater than right now where we need to be aligned with this, where we need his kingdom here. Here's the deal. We've got kingdoms going up all over the place, but there is only one kingdom that we need, and guess what? It's not mine. It's not yours. It's his. It's his. We have kingdoms going up all around us, all day, every day, but that's not the kingdom that we need. It's his. We are to pray boldly, we are to pray confidently with expectation. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What I love about this line in the Lord's Prayer is that it's acknowledging that we can't do it. Get this, there's an implication of that. We can't bring the kingdom come. Only God can do that. That doesn't mean we don't have any responsibility in this. We're gonna talk more about that in a minute. But kingdom come is God's job, not my job, not your job. And guess what? Praise Jesus for that because I'm pretty sure, I can't speak for you, I'll speak for me, I'm pretty sure I'd mess it up. Guaranteed, I would mess it up. The reality is, this is God's job because in order for his kingdom come, there is an enemy that needs to be defeated. And while we may think that the enemy is ignorance, natural disasters, politicians that we disagree with, that it's addictions or abuse or viruses or pandemics or racism or prejudice, the enemy is very real. He has a name. It's Satan, and he is everywhere. Turn on the TV, look at the news, read a newspaper, scroll through Facebook. He disguises himself in creative and deceptive ways. And if we're not careful, we will fall prey to him. But what I also know is this. We, you and I, we can't win that fight. But he can. We can't win the fight, but he can. And that's why we boldly pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Now what's our part in this? What's our responsibility? Not only do we pray boldly, but there is certainly work that needs to be done. And when I tend to think of work, I tend to think of my hands. I tend to think of building something, getting out and getting messy. And that has its time and has its place. But the work that we need to do, it doesn't start with our hands. It starts with our hearts. It starts with a sweet surrender. It starts by acknowledging our brokenness down on our knees before a loving Savior. By acknowledging that the enemy has a stronghold on us. You see, the temptation is to look at the hearts of others. If you go on Facebook right now, you'll see this all over the place. I don't know if this pops up in your feed, but I see all sorts of posts that's like, if you do this, you're part of the problem. Right? And it's just like the two sides going back and forth. See, the temptation in the Sermon on the Mount is to use it as a window into the hearts 
and brokenness of other people so that, so that we can judge them and we can point and, see, and say, see, you're part of the problem. But I think Jesus didn't intend it to be a window. He wanted it to be a mirror. So that we would look at our reflection and we would see deep, deep into our hearts. Deep into our brokenness. That we would begin to understand how great our need for him really is. When we begin to truly understand who we are and who it is we are praying to, who we're talking with, things change. Right? We're, we're talking to a Heavenly Father who listens to us, a Heavenly Father who shows compassion on us despite our flaws and our brokenness and our weakness, a Heavenly Father who covers us with love even though we deserve His wrath, A heavenly father who cares for our every need. A heavenly father who corrects out of love for our good. A heavenly father who is inherently good and loving. You see, our prayers, our prayers, they will become bold. Once you know who you're talking to, everything changes. Once you know who you're talking to, your priorities begin to shift. Once you know who you're talking to, the surrender, it becomes sweet. That doesn't make it not hard. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. And you can't do it on your own. But by the grace of God, you can. But let me tell you this. It is going to be worth it. Here's the deal, church. Our priority in prayer is not for us to convince God to do our will, but rather that our hearts would be softened to his will. Let me say that again. This, if you remember anything from today, this is what I want you to remember, that our priority in our prayer is not for us to convince God to do our will, but rather that our hearts would be softened to his. So a question that I want to leave you with to reflect on as we, as we close out our time together. Fair warning, this, this may be hard. Are you finding yourself trying to find a way to squeeze God into your kingdom? Or are you surrendering your will and your desires over to him so that you discover how it is you fit into his? The priority of prayer is such that we surrender fully, not partially, fully to his kingdom, to the king, to his will for our lives. That's my hope, my prayer for us as a church, for you as individuals, for me as a husband, as a father, as a son of God. As I was studying and preparing for this week, I came across this prayer from John Wesley I'd like to share with you. I want to invite you 
to just close your eyes as I read this prayer to you, and then we'll close. I put myself wholly into thy hands. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee or trodden underfoot for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things or let me have nothing. I freely and heartily resign all thy pleasure and disposal to you. That is a prayer of surrender. Heavenly Father, for some of us listening in this moment, we've been spending our entire lives building our own kingdoms. Building up walls to protect what it is we have a desire to control. But Lord, you are, you are calling us, encouraging us to, to tear that down, to tear down the kingdoms that we've built and to seek after you in your kingdom, in your will for our lives. That we would acknowledge who you are. That you are a good God, a righteous God, a God who loves us who gave his son so that we could have life with him, so that we could live in the kingdom of God, not just someday, but right here, right now, that we would experience life in the fullest possible way. So God, it's my, my desire, my prayer, our prayer, that your kingdom come, that your will be done here on earth, in our hearts as it is in heaven. We pray these things in the matchless name of your Son, Jesus Christ.